from the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house. If you've got a question on faith, family, or fellowship, or maybe even the desert, that will become more apparent to you in a moment. <laughs> Give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 271 2985 And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 271 2985 you can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com, or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams. Charles Beery is our celebrity producer today. Um, Matt Gubensky is our just average mild-mannered, everyday phone screener today. And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, is handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, our very favorite, Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. And I, I think you're a, a celebrity moderator, too. I just want to add that. I think, <laughs> well, there you I think go. that's worth saying. And hey, I mean you know, it. When... <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, the... Uh, you know, we, we I know that we all have moments in our humanity when we would like for people to just leave us alone. Yes. But yes. I think by and large, for most of us, those moments are fleeting. And when you think of a of a life of asceticism or a life of 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 hermitage or a life in the desert, it probably would be a lot harder to live out than we might think, huh? It would be, especially if you're not called to that particular vocation, huh? And uh, that's what our springboard topic is about today, the life of St. Anthony of the Desert, known as the father of monasticism. But from this springboard on St. Anthony of the Desert, I want to springboard into another question for all of our live listeners today, uh, whether they're listening on the radio or on Facebook feed or on YouTube feed. Uh, I want to ask them, what are your spiritual practices? Huh? Call us today and tell us or email us, uh, text us. What, what are your spiritual practices, since we're going to look at St. Anthony of the Desert, whose feast day on the Universal Calendar was yesterday on January 17th. St. Anthony of the Desert, the celebrated father of monks and monasticism, was born in Egypt around the year 250. After his parents died, he distributed his property to the poor, oversaw the care of his younger sister with a convent of nuns, and beginning a life of penance, withdrew into solitude. This he did after being profoundly transformed by hearing the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 21, being preached aloud inside of a church during a sermon, quote, "'If you wish to be perfect,' Go then and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Words of our Lord, huh? 
St. Anthony of the Desert attracted disciples and labored on behalf of the church, giving support to believers, especially during the persecution of Diocletian, and assisting St. Athanasius against the Arians. He died in 356. Also known as the father of hermit monks, worth noting is that St. Anthony would not let his men live in solitude, Jack, in the desert, in their hermitages, unless they could first prove that they could live in community with others with the utmost charity. Then, and only then, could they go out and live for a time in their hermitages, a life of solitude and prayer. But even then, even then, they would have to return for a short period of time to live once again in community before going back out to the hermitage again. Okay, so charity is utmost here, right? Supernatural wisdom there. That's right. Amen to that. Otherwise, you can have a reclusivist who purposely wants to be a reclusivist, and the human person is not meant to be reclusivist. His primitive organized way of life earned Anthony the title Father of Monasticism, quote, end quote, and his erudite sayings formed a spiritual touchstone for succeeding generations of ascetics, including St. Benedict of Nursia. Another short life of St. Anthony of the Desert, Jack tells us the following. Renowned as the father of monasticism, St. Anthony of the Desert was one of the first to lead an austere life of prayer and fasting in the solitude of the desert. As a hermit, he soon became a great counselor to clergy, to monks, and to lay people alike. How awesome is that? As many sought out his wisdom to help guide their own lives and their own vocations. Anthony's biography, written by St. Athanasius, the great early church father, became a classic text for Western monasticism. We could even say it was a bestseller in its own time. They couldn't reproduce copies of it enough by hand. Anthony's wisdom was collected into the sayings of the Desert Fathers as well. For example, to a fellow abbot, St. Anthony of the Desert once gave this advice, quote, Don't trust in your own righteousness. Practice moderation in food and in talk. And don't worry about things done in the past. End quote. Again, St. Anthony died in 356. So we, we look at his life and we see that this father of monasticism spurs us on to want to have our own spiritual practices. So I want to throw a few out there as examples and invite our, our listeners today, our watchers today on YouTube and, and Facebook to text or write or call. What are your spiritual practices, huh? Uh, so for example, uh, maybe you're a, daily, you're a daily mass attendee huh? because your schedule permits it. You're able to go to daily weekday mass. How beautiful is that? Uh, some of us can't do that right? Because of our work schedule not permitting it. Uh, Maybe an annual retreat for yourself. You're very, very certain to get in that annual retreat, even if it's just a weekend retreat, or maybe it's a week-long retreat that you seek out. How about an annual marriage retreat with your spouse? Are you and your spouse certain to get in at least once every 12 months a weekend marriage retreat? How about an annual pilgrimage, or once every five years you set aside funds to plan for a great pilgrimage. Is that part of your spiritual life? How about the Stations of the Cross prayed every Friday throughout the year? You know, when I was stationed at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansfield, Jack, the first three years of my priesthood, I remember one of the ladies who lived right there on the county road of the shrine, the same county road, uh, she faithfully prayed every Friday the Stations of the Cross. It was a very beautiful thing to witness. Um, How about this, celebrating your your patron saint's feast day with a fine meal? 
uh, or celebration, uh, beginning, of course, with going to Mass that day on your patronal saint's uh, feast day, your, your patronal namesake saint. How about daily Lectio Divina, daily, daily reading of Scripture with some meditation time following that? How about the family rosary or, or a rosary walk with your spouse or with your kids, huh? or a rosary walk by yourself, but the daily rosary, or maybe your family daily rosary is in the living room uh, before a beautiful image of, of Our Lady there, maybe on the fireplace mantle. Uh, how about the, the daily family chaplet of divine mercy or, or a divine mercy walk? Uh, either with your spouse, your kids, or by yourself. I, I like to encourage, get some exercise in while you're praying that daily rosary, while you're praying that daily Divine Mercy Chaplain. How about this? Do you host a weekly prayer group at your house? And if so, what kind of prayer group is it? Uh, is it all women? Is it all men? Is it a married couple's weekly prayer group that you host in your home? Uh, is it a young adult prayer group? Because you yourself are a young adult. Are you in a Catholic uh, college youth group? Uh, or are you involved in the Newman Center? What, what are your spiritual practices? Huh? Give a witness today, not only to Open Line Tuesday, but uh, to others who are listening to us, and tell us what your spiritual practices are. Uh, St. Anthony of the Desert, he gives us a guide. He gives us a nomenclature. He gives us a, a plan of action. Huh? Now, he was called to a to a stronger um, monastic life. Uh, many of us are not called to that kind of life. Uh, we're all called to the great level of charity that St. Anthony had his men be sure to live. Again, they could not live in the hermitages as, as desert hermit monks until they could first um, uh, prove, and that's not too strong of a word, uh, to prove that they could live in charity in community life with their other fellow monks. Then and only then could they go out and live in their hermitages, right? And even uh, after being out in their hermitages, for a, a period of time. Uh, they would have to come back into community life at, at different intervals, again, to have that community life, to, to still have it be a part of their hermitage life, and then could go back out a second time and beyond uh, to the hermitages to live as well. So St. Anthony gives us a wonderful, wonderful guide to the importance of the spiritual life, specifically through monasticism. Uh, how about this, Jack? I know you're, you're a fan of the 14 spiritual exercises to help foster the spiritual life that are posted at fathersofmercy.com. You've commented about them several times over the, over the years that we've known each other. Monthly confession, is that part of your spiritual life? Weekly Eucharist on Sunday to fulfill your Sunday Mass obligation. How about a weekly visit to the Blessed Sacrament uh, just to visit our Lord, maybe in a Eucharistic Adoration Chapel? How about a morning offering? There's an important one. Upon arising, make your morning offering. How do you know that's not going to be the day that you're going to die? Huh? I've already talked about the daily rosary, the daily chaplet. How about fasting on Fridays? Huh? According to the mind of the church and what that means. How about the, the two daily examinations of conscience? Uh, the particular exam at midday and then the general exam at the end of the day. How about the short, fervent aspiration prayers said throughout the day? The list goes on and on and on, Jack. So give us a call today at Open Line Tuesday and share with us what your spiritual practices are. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, you run across people in this life that are just genuinely good folks. Uh, they're, they're, they're obviously sincere. 
They're pleasant. Um, and, and one of those people uh, for me is Mike Aquilina. And he's got a new book out called Friendship and the Fathers, How the Early Church Evangelized. <clears throat> and in this book, um, it brings together for the first time the Father's doctrine and stories of friendship, mostly in their own words. And this kind of goes along with a little bit of what you were talking about, Father Wade. And, and yeah. you know, these a lot of these saints, we can we can go back and find stories after story after story of people that we say now that Holy Mother Church now says are canonized in heaven, that are in heaven sharing the beatific vision, who shared their life with each other on earth. And uh, Mike introduces readers to many giants of the early church, focusing on the bonds they shared with Christians and pagans alike. Uh, It's available now at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. And that's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. You know, Jack, I, I'm, a, yep, go ahead. I'm, I'm a big advocate, as you know, of promoting the lives of the saints, even as a, as a daily reader with a short, condensed version where, where each saint's life is maybe a page to a page and a half long, uh, but especially the church fathers and the early saints of the, of, of the early church, the first centuries, especially of, say, the first five to seven centuries. Why? Because they were in closer proximity to the earliest of Christians, so the apostolic age itself, and uh, we can gain so much wisdom by just reading faithfully, for example, the church fathers. Uh, like like Anthony of the Desert and, and his writings, you know, uh, just a, a beautiful, beautiful way to solidify and ground ourselves in our faith. Still have a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. First up today is Kathy in Edmond, Oklahoma, listening on Oklahoma Catholic Radio. Kathy, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Um I, I have a question, and then I'd like to respond also to my uh, what type of spirituality I practice. Okay, great. So, uh, first of all, my mother is failing. She lives with me. She's nine, She just turned 96, and she's a wonderful person, a great joy to be with. I had Father uh, come in July and give her the anointing of the sick, but should I also try and get Okay, great question. The apostolic blessing is given when death is imminent, and you have uh, reasonable certitude that death is imminent. Uh, when the priest comes out to give uh, the so-called last rites, quote-unquote, it includes not only the anointing of the sick, but also uh, the apostolic pardon, along with confession, if the person is able to go to confession, if they're able to speak, they may not be able to speak. Uh, also, Holy Viaticum, if they're able, that is one, one's final Holy Communion, even if it's just a little fraction, a little fraxio of the consecrated host of the Eucharist. Uh, prayers of commendation for the dying, which includes the litany of the saint prayed over the person, led by the priest, and then again, the apostolic pardon. So there's there's five parts there to the so-called last rites. Again, the anointing of the sick itself, which is one of the seven sacraments, confession, holy viaticum, that is one's final holy communion, prayers of commendation for the dying, and the apostolic pardon. Okay. Now again, of those five, uh, the anointing of the sick can be given irregardless if the person's awake or non-awake, and also the apostolic pardon can be given regardless of whether or not the person's awake or not awake, and so can the prayers of commendation of the dying be prayed over them, regardless of their awake or not awake. So three of those five are definite for, for the la- so-called last rites when you believe that death is imminent. 
Okay, um, the other two, uh, confession and holy viaticum, may not be received by the person possibly because they're in a comatose state or they're out of it. They're not able to confess. They're not able to receive even a little fraction of the host. So those two of the five parts of the so-called last rites may not be able to be received. So what I would do, you, you said your mother is failing now. What I would do, since it was back in July, and that was several months ago, uh, what, six, uh, seven, going on, going on uh, eight months now, I would have Father come out and, and go ahead and give her all of the last rites, uh, the, all five parts, and uh, then keep an eye on her from that point forward. And some families, it sounds like your mom is at home at age 96, some families will have hospice come in and help them with care when those final days are, are look like they've arrived and, and death is imminent. And the hospice people, they're, they're, they're very, very well trained in their work. And, and I remember with my own father, they had it down to the final 72 hours that, that, of when my dad would pass. And we were able to get the priest out there because I was out of state at the time. I had been home just three weeks earlier. But when he actually died in, in that final 72-hour period, that last three-day period of his life, I was not in California at the time. So my older brothers um, made sure that they got one of the family priest friends out there to give the last rites. Um, but, but the hospice people knew what was going on. And that was very, very important uh, to, to be able to time things correctly, we could say. But since it's been almost eight months uh, since your, um, uh, since your uh, uh, mother has received the, those different parts of the last rites, I would go ahead and have the priest come out again. Does that help you out? That is great. And uh, Father, I also wanted to add that I have, I'm a Eucharistic minister. I have been bringing her communion uh, when I go to Mass and receive... Beautiful. Uh, I'm also uh, a uh, lay Dominican, so Wonderful. part of my spirituality is we pray the rosary together in the morning, and then I, when I take my dog out and walk him, that's when I do either either morning prayer or evening prayer. Um, oh, beautiful. So it sounds like your mom is cognizant that she is alert. Uh, you said you're able to give her communion. Uh, is does she, if she wanted to go to confession, would she be able to go to confession? Is she alert enough to do that? Yes, she is. Uh, she's she just she's down to like sixty six pounds, and she's mm. five foot two. So she's uh, she just not eating anything, and and yeah. uh, so but but she real she has uh, you know she has her mental capabilities. They're not as sharp as they used to be, but they're they're still. She'd be able to go to confession. Yes. Yeah, and, and she may not feel the need to go to confession. The choice, of course, would be hers. You can't force a sacrament on somebody. But, but if she understands the faith, she knows the faith, I think she would be open to all five parts that constitute the so-called last rites. Great, great witness question about your mom, age 96, who you're taking care of in your own home, and a great witness about your own spiritual practices, including your Dominican tertiary membership. So thank you so much, Kathy, from Omaha. We really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Linda in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Linda, you're on with Father Wade Menezes. Father Wade, it's so good to talk to you. I have a question about seven Souls of Mary. I have a card where you meditate on each one, say a Hail Mary, and it has seven promises on the back that she gave to St. Bridget. The last promise is you will go from this earth straight to heaven when you die. No purgatory, 
nothing. Now, I'm wondering, how accurate is that? Well, remember, private revelation, such as the promises of St. Bridget, are just that, private revelation. You can partake of the devotion that that particular saint propagates, and in good faith you could uh, practice that devotion, but unless it's been sanctioned officially by the Church, um, you, you don't want to take it strictly at face value. And to my knowledge, the St. Bridget prayers, although they're very beautiful and they're very traditional, they have a very strong tradition in the life of Holy Mother Church, uh, to my knowledge, they never received an ecclesiastical approbation. They've never received an ecclesiastical approbation, in other words, an official, capital O, official Church approval. That said, they have a very strong tradition in the Church, and so you're welcome to continue uh, praying the St. Bridget prayers, and in this case, the Seven Sorrows and the Seven Joys devotion of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which she helped propagate. And if you don't mind, I'd like to comb through those very quickly, because they're very, very scriptural, and they're very, very sound in devotion, and you can have a devotion to the Seven Joys and Seven Sorrows of the Blessed Mother apart from the writings of St. Bridget, even though you're welcome to still do that devotion according to the writings of St. Bridget. So uh, for the, for the Seven Sorrows, we have the prophecy of Simeon during the presentation of the temple, the flight into Egypt, the loss of the child Jesus for three days, Mary meets Jesus on the way to Calvary, the Via Della Rosa is number four, Jesus dies on the cross, the crucifixion is number five, number six is Jesus is taken down from the cross and Mary's receiving the body of Jesus in her arms, that's the beautiful image of the Pieta, and number seven, the seventh sorrow of the Blessed Virgin is the body of Jesus is placed in the tomb. Now, for the seven joys, we have this, the Annunciation, the Nativity of Jesus, the Adoration of the Magi, the Resurrection of Jesus. Number five is the Ascension of Jesus Christ into Heaven, 40 days after his resurrection. Number six, the sixth joy of the Blessed Virgin is the Pentecost, or the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Apostles and the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Upper Room. And number seven is the coronation of the Blessed Virgin, Queen of Heaven and Earth, which we read about in Revelation 12.1, the book of the Apocalypse, uh, which is tied to Genesis 1 with her crushing uh, the head of the serpent. So the, the, the two bookends of all of sacred scripture, the book of Genesis, the first book, and the book of Revelation, the final book, the, 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 the two bookends, if you will, with all the other books in between them, uh, 73 books total according to the Catholic uh, canon of scripture. Uh, so you have the book of Revelation is the first book, the book of Revelation or the book of the Apocalypse is the last book, uh, and these 71 books in between, we see the Blessed Mother's roles as the Mother of God, the Theotokos, uh, so important. Now, one other thing I want to say about the seven joys and seven sorrows. If you line them up horizontally, the first sorrow with the first joy, the, the second sorrow with the second joy, the third uh, sorrow with the third joy, line, line up the two lists horizontally, you can see how they help uh, cancel out one another. The joy cancels out the sorrow. We see this also with the seven sorrows of St. Joseph and the seven joys of St. Joseph, right? So the first sorrow of the Blessed Virgin, the prophecy of Simeon, Simeon during the presentation of the temple, but then we had Mary's uh, annunciation, okay, of Gabriel telling her that if she says yes, she'll be the, she'll be the mother of, of God, she'll be the mother of the Redeemer, the Messiah. 
the second one was the flight into Egypt, but it's counteracted by, firstly, the, 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 the wonder of the nativity, the joy of the nativity, right? Same thing with St. Joseph. We see that with his seven sorrows and his seven joys, and so that's very important. But it is a beautiful devotion. I am personally a great advocate of, of the St. Bridget prayers. I prayed them strongly at one point in my life. I don't do so now. I, I've taken on other devotions. I've, I've advanced from that, but they, they are very, very beautiful. Uh, they are time-consuming, so you have to have the time and, and the wantingness to do that, and make sure they don't become rote, where you're saying the prayers and the words, and not they're not really meaning anything to you. If they're becoming dry or stale to you, maybe our Lord is calling you into a higher level of prayer. So that's the other guide I would give. But a great question. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Well, welcome back, Open Line Tuesday listeners. We welcome you back to our show this week. Uh, We're temporarily have have lost Jack for a little bit. We're hoping to get him back. And our next caller is Jay from Slidell, Louisiana. Hello, Jay. Hello. How are you guys doing? I'm. uh, We're doing great, Jay. Thank you so much. What's your question? All right. Well. Uh, what what it is is I run RCI a lot, and I mm-hmm. I, I bring a lot of people in that I find because a lot of the answers I don't have. So I bring in the people like like you and the priests of the of the church who do know, and, and a couple of them that actually come in and talk. You said share our story, so that, that that's my story, and I love doing that for people. And how long have you been teaching RCIA? I've been involved with them for about three years. Well, great. And that's a parish there in Louisiana? Yeah, that's uh, Slidell. And I'm involved a lot with uh, uh, Susanville, California, too. I'm just down here visiting right now. Okay, well, great. Great. Well, we thank you very much for your call and for letting us know. Great. Fantastic. It's it's important to stay active with a strong spiritual life, and of course, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert proves that today uh, with our springboard and, and the universal uh, celebration of his feast yesterday in the life of the Church. Thank you so much, Jay. We really appreciate it. All right. Uh, y'all have a good day, and God bless you and everybody there. God bless you. Thank you so much. Next, we're going to go to Manny from Midland, Texas. Hello, Manny. How you doing today? Hey, Father Wayne. How y'all guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for your call today from Midland, Texas. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Well, Father, uh, I've got a question about the two judgments. I don't understand why there's really two judgments. Like, I completely trust in God's judgment and His mercy and His most of all, His, ju- his justice. So, to me, it doesn't make a difference what if I know, you know, the other guy's judgment or not. So can you, you know, maybe you know, explain that a little bit? I mean, yeah, if I can uh, completely trust sure. ju- justice, sure. I don't really care what my neighbor does or, you know, what his 
Sure. First of all, I'd like to urge you, if you haven't gotten it yet, to get my book, The Four Last Things, A Catechetical Guide to Death, Judgment, Heaven, and Hell. I'm holding it up right now to the screen for those of you maybe watching on our YouTube feed or our Facebook feed. And you're asking a question about the particular judgment and the general judgment, where uh, everyone's life will be known at the general judgment in regards to what their particular judgment was and why it is what it is and and why it has to be made manifest to everybody. And the, the, the Church's teaching is very clear in it. Believe it or not, it's mostly based on sacred scripture. For example, uh, in in Psalm 39, I believe it is, uh, we're told that when our God comes again, he does not keep silence. Huh? St. Augustine quotes that in several of his writings, okay? And then uh, our Lord himself says in the gospel, there is, there is not anything that has been done in, in the dark that will not be made uh, known in the light at the end of time when the Son of Man comes again. So the reason for this is because the human person is social by nature, and the general judgment at the end of time will show to every detail how everyone's life played in the overall salvation of the world for those who are saved, for those who are not saved by their own doing, because God sends no one to hell. To go to hell is, is, is by one's own doing, by purposeful, non-repentant mortal sin, okay? Only, that's the only thing that sends a person to hell by their own doing, is purposeful, non-repentant mortal sin. Uh, and, and so we have the hope of all the helps that are there for us to attain salvation. This is why St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, and, and that's a filial fear, not a servile fear that St. Paul is talking about. Uh, the Church Fathers make it very clear. But the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, uh, in number, uh, number 1038, it says, the resurrection of the dead of both the just and the unjust will precede the last judgment. This will be the hour when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Then Christ will come in glory, and all the angels with him. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand, but the goats on his left. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And then it goes on to tell us in number 1039, in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is truth itself, the truth of each man's relationship with God will be laid bare. The last judgment will reveal, even to its furthest consequences, the good that each person has done or failed to do during his earthly life. That's number 1039 that I just read out of the Universal Catechism, okay? And then it goes on to quote St. Augustine from his Sermon 18, a very well-known sermon of St. Augustine uh, about the general judgment and how it's preceded by the particular judgment when the individual dies. St. Augustine says this, all that the wicked do is recorded, and they do not know when our God comes, he does not keep silence. He will turn towards those at his left hand and say, quote, I place my poor little ones on earth for you. I, as their head, was seated in heaven at the right hand of my father, but on earth my members were suffering. My members on earth were in need. If you gave anything to my members, what you gave would reach their head as well, me. Would that you had known that my little ones were in need when I placed them on earth for you and appointed them your stewards to bring your good works into my treasury." 
but you have placed nothing in their hands. Therefore, you have found nothing in my presence. That's quoting Sermon 18 of St. Augustine on how we help the poor and the destitute in this life while still living. But the main answer to your question, and that's just an, uh, an illustration of the answer, the main answer to your question is when number 1039 says, in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is truth itself, the truth of each man's personal relationship with God will be laid bare. The last judgment will reveal even to its furthest consequences the good that each person has done or failed to do during his earthly life, because we all have a role to play in the salvation of the world. And Vatican II is clear about this, not only in Lumen Gentium, the, the Light of Nations document, but also Gaudium et Spes, the Joys and Hopes document. And so uh, we we want to be an active role and, and act, uh, partake in an active role and act, be an active cooperator with God um, in, in leading the, the majority of the world to salvation. And we each have our own sphere of influence. There's a beautiful quote by um, uh, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, the great Anglican convert. We each have a sphere of influence in which to influence, right? So uh, yours, Manny, will be different from mine as an itinerant missionary preacher. Maybe, I I'm not sure what your line of work is, but in my line of itinerant missionary preaching, I come into uh, contact with many, many people in a given month uh, in my travels and the, who, the crowds that I preach to. Uh, maybe your line of work is more stable in one location. Uh, the fact is, um, your, line, your sphere of influence is no less important than my sphere of influence. Uh, both spheres of influences by Manny and Father Wade are important, and we have a role to play uh, in, in, in leading the world to salvation to accept the Savior Jesus Christ. This is what our baptism and our confirmation, sustained by regular Eucharist and penance, and, and uh, whether we're single or married or as a consecrated religious, um, we want to be able to live this active sacramental economy that bolsters us with the seven sacraments that leads us to be the evangelizers we're called to be. Thank you, Manny, for a great question on, on the two judgments. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Bill, driving through the great state of Colorado, listening to the Catholic Radio Network. Bill, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Hello, Bill. Thank you for your call from Colorado. I could listen to you all day long. Well, we appreciate that here at EWTN Radio. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, I recently, um, after caregiving for my sister for five years, um, she finally passed on uh, to heaven, and she, she was a devout Catholic, so am I. Uh, but her husband is, is not a devout Catholic, and he refuses to allow us to intern her ashes. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm trying, her mother is, is very upset over this, and so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm telling her mother, that, that's what I'm, I'm looking for some advice on, maybe, maybe uh, you could help me uh, allow her mother to understand that, uh, that she, she, she doesn't, need to be um, as as upset as she is uh, over this uh, right. maybe she does you know right. I, 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 I you know I keep telling her trusting God 
And, right. And, you know, so, uh, so her her mother is is your or your mother. It's your sister who was cremated, and uh, and her husband won't let her ashes be interred. And it sounds like your own mother is is still suffering in grief from the passing of her daughter. Am I understanding you correctly? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, you know, as far as the ashes go and the quote-unquote ownership of them, uh, I believe most civil law would say that the husband has uh, the right to have possession of the ashes. That said, beyond evangelization of your brother-in-law on how the ashes should properly be interred, but not merely just kept in a house, uh, say on the fireplace mantle or whatever, uh, nor should they be scattered in a geographical location that your sister was particularly fond of. Neither one of those things should be done, but because it's, it's the respect for the human body, which is now in ashen form, we want to be able to give it a proper burial. So apart from uh, evangelizing your brother-in-law in that regard, and I don't mean to sound flippant here, but besides evangelizing your brother-in-law in that regard and the importance of interring the ashes, there's really not much you can do as far as what civil law says about her ashes being under the proper ownership of her, of her spouse. Um, so I think your goal should be to focus on your brother-in-law and try to meet him where he's at. Maybe there's some grief going on there that, that he hasn't yet shared with you. Uh, convey to him the, the beautiful church teaching about one of the reasons why we want to inter the body, whether in full body form uh, or in ashen form after cremation, is to be able to have a beautiful place of visitation to go visit our loved one and to offer prayers and suffrages for the loved one who's passed away. And cemeteries are very, very peaceful places. Uh, when I'm on the road traveling, if, if I'm in my truck and not flying from place to place, uh, I will often stop at a cemetery if, I'm, if I pass a cemetery and pray my daily rosary and or daily Divine Mercy chaplet uh, in, a, in a cemetery. It's a very beautiful, peaceful place. And maybe that's something you could witness to your brother-in-law about. Um, you said that your sister was a strong Catholic, and maybe you could also approach the situation or the subject with him in this regard, that because she was a strong Catholic, his wife was a strong Catholic, she would want to do what Holy Mother Church teaches about the beautiful practice of interring the body or burying the body, uh, precisely so that it does not show a disregard for the resurrection of the dead. Uh, that's why we don't scatter the ashes, because it can show a disregard for the resurrection of the dead and that important doctrine of our faith, uh, but also because we want to be able to have a beautiful place of visitation where we can go visit the loved one and their remains, okay, and place flowers, for example. Uh, and, and if he's grieving, you know, having the ashes permanently in his home, for example, can help stunt uh, that grieving process and not let it uh, uh, reach its full, its full healing level. And so you, maybe you want to share that with him, you know, but try to meet him where he's at. And the same with your mom. Uh, you know, again, try to convey to your mom that, that her daughter, your sister, was a strong Catholic, and she would want to have her ashes properly interred. And again, like with your brother-in-law, explain to your mom how it's, it would be a beautiful thing to have a place, a very peaceful place, to go offer prayers and suffrages and a, a bouquet of flowers on her baptismal day, whatever your sister's baptismal day was, on her birthday, on her wedding day, to go place flowers, what was her wedding anniversary. These are different times throughout the year when we can go pray for the dead. How about the, the, the church's indulgence for the first eight days of November? Uh, 
uh, to go visit uh, during the holy month, uh, the, the month of the holy souls in purgatory, the, the, the plenary indulgence is given the first full eight days of, of November, from November 1st to November 8th. And mind you, the last two years during the pandemic, Pope Francis has extended the, the visitation indulgence to cemeteries throughout the entire month of November, beyond the, the first eight days, which is the stronger tradition of the Church, as it reads in the Book of Indulgences. So how beautiful is that for your mom and your brother to go offer their, their plenary indulgence for that day specifically for, for your brother-in-law's wife's soul and, and in regards to your mom for her daughter's soul. So the, these are doctrines of the faith uh, that you want to be able to uh, uh, enunciate to them, explain to them, uh, ha- invite them to listen to this podcast, uh, this particular uh, time of the podcast this hour. Uh, maybe what they hear me say will inspire them to to want to bury the ashes or inter the ashes. Uh, and and the last point I want to make is that you know it, it could be that the local cemetery in your brother-in-law's area where he lives offers the choice of of burying the ashes in the ground or in a columbarium above ground, which is usually made of marble. Uh, it would be interesting to know if your brother-in-law has already purchased his plot or his columbarium plot, and he could purchase one side-by-side where his wife, your sister, is placed. Um, and, and that's something that's worth looking into as well and, and guiding him to, to help do those, those, those uh, steps to help him uh, get over his own grieving, and the same with your mom. So I'll keep this in prayer that, that uh, they will... Uh, acquiesce uh, to the teaching of the church on the beautiful teaching of proper interment for a body. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us tomorrow for more to life, 10 a.m. Eastern time. Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck will tackle the topic, are you dealing with a narcissistic person in your life? Get some uh, free Catholic advice from Dr. Greg and Lisa Popcheck tomorrow. More to life, 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on EWTN Radio. Still time for your phone calls and a couple of open lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Next up is Robert in southern New Hampshire watching us on YouTube today. Robert, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade, and thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Robert. Thank you. Um, so today is, of course, the feast day of St. Anthony, who is uh, essentially the first monk of uh, the Catholic tradition, the first person to live a monastic lifestyle. And I have been uh, discerning that life for quite some time. I feel very called to the monastic life, the ascetic life, whatever you want to call it. Um, basically, I am calling to ask what advice you would offer someone um, who feels that they've discerned that path, that, that wants to pursue that life, um, what would be the best way to go about pursuing that? Great question, Robert, and thank you so much for, for your call regarding vocations to monastic life. If you came to see me for, for a, a period of spiritual direction, my first question to you would be, do you have a particular spirituality that really feeds you, for example, the, the Carmelite spirituality, the Benedictine spirituality, uh, the Passionist spirituality, the Dominican spirituality, etc.? D- d- does any, any one of those spiritualities especially feed you? 
Um, does any one of their, their patron saints feed you, like the life of St. Benedict, uh, or the life of St. Teresa of Avila, or John of the Cross for, for the Carmelites, or St. Dominic, uh, or St. Um, uh, uh, for, for the Passionists, uh, St. Paul of the Cross? Uh, are, are you particularly devoted to any of those saints? And then if the answer is yes, that one of those spiritualities, or maybe two of them, really stand out for you, I would recommend researching the monasteries of, of monks that are faithful to their rule, that are faithful to the teachings of the church, that have a monastery, and go do a come-and-see weekend with those communities. And I would recommend doing three or four of those come-and-see weekends. And I would recommend that uh, that they be the different orders if you're not uh, particularly zeroed in on one type of spirituality. But if you are zeroed in on one type of spirituality, like the Carmelites, and I would say just go visit two or maybe three Carmelite spiritualities of, of, of the men's orders. And realize, too, that in this modern day and age, although they are technically considered monastic, quote-unquote, you're going to have different levels of that monasticism lived out. So, for example, the, the Benedictine monks in Coleman, Alabama, near Mother Angelica's shrine in Hansville, Alabama, are technically considered monastic, but they also teach at a St. Bernard Prep High School, which is part of the grounds of the monastery itself, adjacent to, to the monastery grounds. So they, they do have active works, even though the majority of their life is monastic. But then you might find, um, for example, in Kentucky, um, the, the, the monks of Gethsemane, the Cistercians, who don't do any active works, uh, but instead their, their life of prayer in the monastery. Okay, there's no active works outside the monastery wall. So that's a much more stricter form of monasticism. So all of this leads me to the second question I would ask you if I was meeting with you. How strict do you feel called? And if you answered, well, gee, Father, I don't know, I would then ask you thirdly, well, what are your talents? What are your gifts? Do you love to teach? Do you work well with youth? Do you work well with young adults? The Dominicans, for example, the St. Joseph province in Washington, D.C., they teach university-level courses, okay? Um... So, so there's all different kinds of, of models here of the monastic life, from the very strict, uh, not going outside the walls of the monastery, uh, to, to the still strict, but also incorporating apostolic works. So you want to look at your own talents, your own gifts, which is not prideful to do. God wants us to use our talents. He wants us to use our gifts that he's given us, that we nurture and we grow with his grace, to employ for the benefit of Holy Mother Church, his bride. So what are those gifts and those talents for you? How do you want to employ them in monastic life? But you definitely want to incorporate some come-and-see weekends. That's what I would definitely do. But you want to find a community that is faithful to their rule, uh, Robert, and faithful as well to the teachings of the Church. Uh, there's enough liberal, progressive communities out there, active and contemplative or monastic, that, that I would not recommend looking at. You want to look at ones that are known for their faithfulness. Okay, does that help you out? Oh, uh, absolutely. absolutely. That was a wonderful answer, yes. Thank you so Great. much, Father. Look at your own talents, look at your own spirituality, and then start researching orders uh, to fulfill those loves of yours, because God has given you those loves to benefit not only your own holiness and sanctification, but also to benefit his bride, the church, and the life of, of her religious orders. God bless you now. Take care. Thanks, Robert. We appreciate that phone call. By the way, we have an interesting question from a YouTube watcher, Adriana, uh, about the springboard topic today, and maybe uh, uh, an extreme that we really hadn't really talked about. She said, I'm just finished the Divine Mercy Chaplet. 
I pray the rosary daily. I attend Mass, the Liturgy of the Hours, Chaplet of St. Michael the Archangel daily. But sometimes I feel it's not enough. Well, I would say to her, uh, what is your state in life exactly? Are you single? Married? Are you a consecrated religious? Because each of those three have their own orarium, their own schedule that you're called to be faithful to. So let's say, uh, you said Adrienne, I think it was her name, or Adriana. Let's say she is a wife and mother. Uh, her spiritual life should not usurp her duties as a wife and mother. Her spiritual practices should precisely, capital P, should precisely feed her vocation and state in life as a wife and mother. There's a great quote by St. Francis of Rome, uh, that's Francis C-E-S at the end, the, the female saint, St. Francis of Rome, uh, where she says, quote, uh, leave your silly little devotions at the altar and go home and find God in your housework, end quote. So I researched that quote, and you know, what made her say something like that? Well, she was given a retreat to wives and mothers, and these wives and mothers went to daily Mass, which is a beautiful thing, but here's the problem. When Mass was over, Jack, they didn't go home. They did a three-hour Thanksgiving in the church precisely because they didn't want to go home to their husbands and their kids, <laughs> okay? So they were trying to become uh, quasi-nuns, if you will, and St. Francis of Rome was like, uh, no, uh-uh, we're not going to do this. No, your sanct daily Mass is fine. Daily Eucharist is beautiful. But then you go home now, and you become a saint by being a wife and mother, and that's just one, one example. If, uh, if Adriana is, is single, okay, is, is she a college student? Has she finished her degrees? Is she a working woman? Because your spiritual life, your spiritual practices should not usurp the proper duties to your work and employment. They should feed your work and employment, right? And the same thing uh, uh, if, she's a, if she's a contemplative in, in, a, in a religious order or, or an active uh, sister in a religious order. You're going to have your daily orarium, your daily schedule according to your convent life, uh, and your personal practices, the, the, the personal piety should not usurp the, the, the universal piety of, of your community. Uh, there's, there's problems there, because then, then you have uh, cliques established within, within the one setting of the community life, the religious life. Uh, because once particularly fed by this devotion, she gets others to start following her in that devotion, and it could divide up a, a, a convent of nuns, for example. That's just, that's just one example. So I would say that if you feel that you're not doing enough, it might be good to get a spiritual director to help you analyze what you think to be that. Uh, wh why is that that you don't think you're doing enough? Uh, and maybe you are doing enough, but you just need to have uh, more faith that you are pleasing to God rather than not pleasing to God. So there's different things there that have to be looked at. And Father Wade, just very quickly in the last minute or so we have left, Jane in the great state of Nebraska listening on Spirit Catholic Radio wants to know what the Church says about do not resuscitate orders. They, they can be valid provided the other things are in place. For example, that, that normative palliative care, ordinary palliative care, is not cut off. Uh, we're never bound to take extraordinary means okay, of life support, but the ordinary means need to be in place. So if we do have a do not resuscitate order in place, it needs to be clear as a Catholic directive DNR, a specifically worded Catholic DNR, that the normative palliative care is never ceased. So as long as they're able to take some nutrients, even if it's IV nutrients or soft foods or solid foods or whatever, uh, those normative things still need to be given and cannot be cut off and lead to such things as, as starvation or dehydration. Where can and they find more about the Fathers of Mercy? At fathersofmercy.com. 
Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as my ink pen says, Jack, St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Benizas, our producer, Charles Beery, call screener, Matt Gavinsky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.